Um, today, I have the privilege of proclaiming good news to you all, not as one over and above, but as one from amongst you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Beloved, today we proclaim the good news that the place where you're confronted with your lack is holy ground. Jesus is revealing that the barren places are fertile spaces for a different rain. A new day is dawning. Follow Jesus into the margins where he is replacing misery and want with plenty and wholeness. Our gospel passage picks up right after the death of John the Baptist. It it seems like no matter how many times I've read this passage, I kind of forget that Herod thinks that because of the good works that Jesus is doing, that he must be John, come back to life. And it's interesting that I continue to forget that every time because it kind of sets the stage in a different way if you begin there. Like, Herod has to be deeply concerned about this. The guy that I just beheaded, kind of begrudgingly because he was scared, is now seemingly to him back up and walking around, performing miracles and good deeds. John's disciples bring the news of John's death and perhaps the news of Herod's confusion to Jesus. And then Jesus' response is to withdraw in a boat to a deserted place by himself. The message version says that he slipped away. Now, the church that I grew up in, the church that I went to Bible school at right out of high school, was part of a, a movement called the Word of Faith movement. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but the Word of Faith uh, movement, especially the, the experience that I had, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is like hyper fixated on the words that we use to talk about things. So just to give you a couple of examples, like if you were to be overheard by someone at the church saying, this headache is killing me, you would get like a very strong public rebuke because you are confessing death over yourself. And by doing so, you may actually die from that headache. For real. You couldn't say that you're, you're catching a sickness. You had to say you were catching a healing. Uh, we were so committed at this church to this type of language that we did not call our retreats retreats. We called them advances because true believers never retreat. <laughs> and yet, church, here in this passage this morning, we see Jesus retreating. Now, what caused him to retreat? Is it grief? He's just heard the news of his cousin being put to death. This man that just died, he first met when they were babies in their mother's bellies. The man that baptized him. Is grief what prompted him to retreat? One of the commentaries that I read this week suggested that it could be fear. Maybe Jesus heard the news that Herod is mistaking him for John the Baptist come back to life. And so he thinks that he's going to be hunted down before it's time. And maybe fear strikes him, and that's why he's gone away by himself to a deserted place. Whatever the cause was, it wasn't a warm and fuzzy feeling that led Jesus out into the desert. In this moment of desolation, Jesus slips away to a place of desolation, to a deserted place, to these badlands. This kind of conjures images for me of like a barren wasteland. Not filled with green, but a brown, crusted, dried up, arid place where nothing can grow, seemingly. 
Nothing worthwhile, at least. That's where Jesus retreats to in this moment. And when the, her- the crowds heard that he went there, they followed after him. And he looked out and saw them and had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. In the midst of his own moment of desolation, in the midst of this context of desolation, Jesus exchanges their sickness for wholeness. In verse 15 it says, Now by evening the disciples came to him and they said, The place is deserted and the time is gone. Let's send the crowds away so that they can go out into the villages and buy themselves some food. Instead, Jesus said to them, They do not need to leave. You all give them something to eat. But there were 5,000 of them, actually more than that, and only five loaves and two fish. But Jesus said, Bring them to me. Bring me your lack. Bring me your not enough. Bring me your nowhere near enough. Then he took the bread and the fish, and he held them up, and looking towards the heavens, he blessed them. Church, this is Eucharistic language. This is the same language that was used at the Last Supper to institute what we'll be celebrating today in Eucharist. And he gave the loaves and the fishes to the disciples, who then gave them out to the crowds, all 5,000, not including women and children. They were also fed. They ate and were filled. Dr. Gaffney, in her commentary, points out that here in the text, women and children are relegated because of cultural biases. But there's a difference between the way that they're relegated in the text as part of the gospel and that not being the gospel. So while cultural biases shape the text, we still see women and children receiving this blessing from God. And we see that in all of our passages today. We see women receiving the blessing and abundance of God in each of these four passages, but in 2 Corinthians and 1 Kings specifically, they're actually the ones dispensing the blessing of God and the abundance of God. So here in Matthew, all ate and were filled, and they took up the abundance of the fragments, 12 baskets full. In his moment of desolation and in a desolate place, Jesus exchanged their hunger and need for abundance. This is not just a really cool parlor trick. This is God demonstrating what the kingdom looks like. Jesus is critiquing structures of oppression and reversing human misery and suffering, replacing hunger with abundance, replacing hurt with wholeness. The location, this desert, the margin, the edge of society is not happenstance. Church, the margins are open spaces They are fertile ground for a new existence to break free. Where we look out and we see unfarmable land, God sees a field ready to be developed, ready for flourishing. The people that are there, the marginalized, the outsiders, the nowhere near enough havers, are not happenstance either. People who have been forced to the edge of society can see oppressive systems more clearly. They're forced to because they have to reckon with them on a daily basis. From the center, it's hard to see what's wrong. These are people with eyes to see. These are people with an imagination to see a deserted place that can become a garden. Brothers and sisters, the place where you are feeling confronted by your lack today is holy ground. Jesus is meeting you there, is revealing that the barren places are fertile spaces for a different rain. A new day is dawning. Follow Jesus into the margins. 
face the margin that you are feeling in yourself. That's where he is replacing misery and want with plenty and wholeness. Jesus is a new revelation of what's always been true about the divine. So this is not a a different God that we see here. This is not a, a gentler, kinder God. Jesus is what God looks like in the flesh. This is what God has always looked like. In our first Kings passage, we see that the widow doesn't have enough for her and her son. Elijah instructs her to make some bread for him. And it says then, the jar of flour will not empty. The oil will not decrease. Elijah says that before her response. So this proclamation of abundance is not conditional. It's not contingent on her action. The jar of flour then goes on to be filled. It does not go empty. The jug of oil is not empty or decreased. Our psalm sings the praises of God whose justice will stand forever. In 2 Corinthians, we see that we're told to sow in abundance so that we can reap in abundance. God is able to grant you all every gift abundantly so that you always have enough. 2 Corinthians quotes Psalm 112 and says, God scatters generously and gives to the poor. God's righteousness, God's justice endures forever. Church, these and these words in 2 Corinthians aren't Christian get-rich-quick schemes. They reveal the heart of the Creator. Jesus isn't the softer, kinder, gentler God who has more compassion for the poor. This is what God has always been. The Creator God, the generous scatterer, is the God of the outsider, the oppressed, the marginalized, the not-enough-haver, and always has been. God provides in each of these passages, but in Corinthians, the community does the work of God by providing for one another with the abundance that they have received. So it says, it's said to the body at Corinth, not to individuals, but to the body, sow in abundance and you'll reap in abundance. Give what you have, even if it seems little, because with what you bring, God is able to grant you every gift in abundance so that you'll always have enough and that you'll abound in every good work. You'll be enriched in every way for every kind of generosity. And it specifies that the gifts, the abundance that's brought, will not just supply the needs of the body, not just the saints, but there'll be an overflow. These baskets will overflow out into the, the community around there. This is the economy that we are being drawn into, church. We are becoming a people, a body that does the work of God by sharing what we've received in abundance. Not just for us here within these four walls, but there's an overflow out into the community. This is what happens every time the table is able to pay someone's rent through our benevolence fund. This is what happens every time we welcome an asylum seeker or a refugee. We provide housing for someone in need. The blessings build up and overflow out to others. They can't help but go out and touch other lives. As we move away from the center and we follow Jesus to the margins, God is drawing us out of a system. We're being drawn out of greed and into generosity. We're being drawn out of individualism and into mutuality, from stockpiling to sharing resources. So church, when we get in touch with our own desolation, the places that we lack inside us, God is meeting us there, but it doesn't just stop there. There is a deep, internal, crucial internal work that's happening in this salvation. We are being saved. 
but we are being saved into something, into a way of being in the world, into a way of existing in community with one another, into a way of existing in our jobs as we go out from here. I think oftentimes I've received a narrative that God wants to save my internal world only, that I can become more patient, less angry, that I can learn to be more content, more at peace. Those are all good things. But unto what? We are being saved in that way and through that into a kingdom type of living. And it has to do with our bodies, not just what's going inside our souls and our spirits. So where are you aware of your lack today? Where do you feel like you don't have enough? Maybe you feel like you have nowhere near enough. Do you have a personal awareness of desolation? Where you feel alone or excluded? Have you experienced loss? Maybe it's someone that you thought was a safe place for you or a relationship where you were cared for and now you feel unsafe and lost. Where are you aware of that personal desolation today? Where are you in touch with the context of desolation? Do you live in a state that's hell-bent on legislating hate and oppression? Hint, you do. (laughs) Is the planet that you live on experiencing a climate crisis? Do you work in an industry that's either built on or plagued by injustice? I work in an industry that has led the way in blockbusting and redlining, continues to further marginalization. We operate within a system where oppression and exploitation just makes good business sense. That's the logic of the system that we operate within, that we live in in, and are surrounded by. And it doesn't happen by accident that you oppose it. You have to enter into and allow your eyes to actually rest on this marginalization, on this desolation. It can feel too heavy to bear, but you have to allow yourself to be present to it because that is the space that this kingdom reality is breaking free. You have to be aware and confronted by sadness and oppression to be able to see the healing that's taking place there and participate in it with God. Church, wherever you're in touch with this today, this desolation, personal or structural, this is holy ground. Jesus is revealing that this barren place is fertile for a different rain. A new day is dawning. Follow Jesus into the margins where he is replacing misery and want with plenty and wholeness. So church, today... Bring your desolation. Remain awake to the desolation around you. God's kingdom of abundance is here, and God's kingdom of abundance is coming. So let us feast in the desert together and live into this alternative system marked by compassion, sufficiency, and shared resources. Let's come to the table of our Lord and feast together, aware of this desolation, and then be sent out into the desolation, not asleep to it, but awake to it so that we can be awake
to God's new creation breaking free in these areas of lack, in these deserted spaces. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.